1: Hey everyone, this is Roman Prokopchuk and this is the Digital Savage Experience Podcast. Today I have with me Jason Bradshaw. Jason went from teenage entrepreneur to a global thought leader on customer and employee experience delivering business growth. Thank you for joining me today.
0: Hey Roman, it's so great that uh, I could join you today and and be with you, listeners. Appreciate it.
1: Thanks for coming on. So tell me a little bit about your journey. How did you get to where you are today?
0: So it uh, starts when I was just 14 years of age. So at 14, I, you know, it was it was the start of the the computer age, I guess you would say, or the home computer age. And I, uh, I I wanted to have the latest and greatest. I wanted to have the shiny objects. And uh, my parents, uh, you know, were very generous, but not uh, generous to buy me a new gadget every week. And so I decided to launch my own business, selling a range of telecommunications, computer hardware, and software. Uh, and, and associated services at the age of 14 and um, by the time I was 21 I'd owned three separate businesses um, so uh, you could say that there was some entrepreneurial spirit uh, from the very beginning um, and now some 20 years later uh, significant experience in, in the corporate world uh, but still very much that entrepreneurial uh, heart feeding away.
1: That's awesome. And how are you kind of currently helping companies? What are kind of the clients you're working with and some of the things you've recently experienced? And how has kind of working with clients in the last eight, nine months or so gone in terms of kind of adapting to the uh, current global uh, climate of things that are going on?
0: Well, I think that you've probably experienced this too, Roman. The word pivot, uh, I think, has been uh, used in every conversation you've had with Clients or podcast guests or, you know, every thought leader is uh, at some time used the word pivot. And uh, with the work that I do with Volkswagen Group Australia and with uh, others, it's certainly been a case of, I'm I'm not going to say pivot, because I think most companies had long-term plans to, you know, have a bigger focus on digital or to improve the the experience or the speed at which they could Uh, deliver something through a digital means, but what the pandemic has shown us is that companies and individuals, when they decide to focus on something, they can move really quickly. And so what I've been helping individuals and organizations with is how they can prioritize their work, get absolute clarity around what is essential to do today, and then move quickly to implement. And it's the one thing that has stood the test of time for me as far as my career has gone. Uh, is that if you get clarity around what it is that you want to achieve and how that will help your customers or your employees, then you can achieve it and you can achieve it in very uh, fast times if you are willing to do the work. Uh, quite often I find organizations uh, and individuals that they get too hung up on the strategy. You know, minimum. There's nothing wrong with a minimum viable product. An MVP is usually the best way to know whether the market wants something or not. And uh, certainly over the last eight, uh, eight months, there's been a big focus on helping organizations make it easier for customers to, to keep doing business with them, uh, but a real focus on, on what, what is necessary versus you know the, the 30-page strategy document that never really comes to life.
1: Yeah, I think it's important for, you know, businesses and companies of any size to get direction and clarity as quick as possible, because regardless of what size you are, speed to market and just speed is advantageous, especially, you know, currently, I mean, in in the US, people are still kind of remote for the most part, a lot of tech companies are pushing that, you know, back to like 2021, 2022, you have the option to do so. So I think, having speed to get to market or pivot because a lot of industries are going under just simply because they're brick and mortar, so you know the movie industry, movie theaters, stuff like that here. So figuring out how you can pivot or survive and if you can't, what what can you do about it? I think
0: Yeah, I think that uh, you know the, the hotel industry uh, is certainly um, an example of how you can find a way to survive and thrive. In the current climate, and how uh, you you can't. You know, a classic example is that you know many hotels have decided to turn their kitchens into takeaway uh, restaurants. Effectively, you know, you could you know think about uh, hopping on Uber and ordering from your local Ritz Carlton. Uh, that's something that you wouldn't have thought of 12 months ago, but it's something you can do today in many markets. But at the same time, you've got other hotels that literally shut their doors and and thought they'd just wait it out. And, you know, that is so true in almost every industry. And it's your ability and willingness to adapt. And I think the companies that have moved fastest are those companies that have had a practice of actually listening to their customers. So, you know, I mentioned earlier, I don't think that everyone's pivoted. I think they've just accelerated their plans. And and those companies are the ones that, for the last 10 years, have seen their customers' interest in, the digital space evolve, and you know that their, their response to that has to been to build out long term plans to to meet that evolving need. And and when the pandemic hit, they just accelerated those those uh, particular plans. So, I, I certainly think that uh, uh, the pandemic has has taught us, definitely in the corporate world, that just because we've done something a certain way forever isn't necessarily the only way that you can still achieve it. And I think working from home is one of those great examples of that. And I think that we will see employee engagement in many organizations improve because they've had a more flexible workspace. Uh, and I would certainly, from the people I've been speaking with and organizations that I've worked with, the amount of communication to employees has certainly increased and. That that can only add, I would say, clarity and reassurance to employees that they're that they're in the right place. So, I think we're going to in a few, you know, probably not for a few years yet, but uh, in a few years' time, we'll look back and there'll be some really key lessons out of the last nine months, out of 2020 in general, that we take into best practice as leaders, uh, and it will become the, the the next wave of thought leadership, if you like, around what it looks like to lead a business, a a team. And I think we'll see a large part of that being employees having a lot more flexibility than they used to have.
1: Yeah, I agree. So what motivates you to succeed? Obviously, those motivations may have changed over time, but what currently motivates you to succeed?
0: I really uh, love being able to make a difference, see people have success. Now, there was a time in my career, where I wanted to be the one actually doing every step. Now, uh, as society and technology has evolved, you know, I I couldn't code a, a line in, in a program to save me. Um, you know, I'm sure at some point I, I learned how to write. You know, hello me, uh, but uh, you know, so you know, at first it was about actually doing the hands-on work and and the, seeing the fruits of your labor. And as my career progressed, and certainly to today. I want to help others and as many as I can achieve what they're set out to, out to achieve. I, I talk about customer experience or employee experience measuring across three pillars. And the very first pillar of that is success. And so what I'm always looking to do is, is help people be more successful, help, help them realize that there's a smarter, faster way to achieve what they're looking to achieve.
1: Yeah, I agree. So what's one thing you may have seen as a weakness in yourself in the past that you've turned around and utilized as a strength today?
0: Uh, well, look, I, I hope I share this weakness with a number of people. And, and that is that there was a long period in, in my, my professional history where it had to be perfect, where I just, you know, I did not want to launch something without it being perfect. And then as my career progressed and the demands uh, on my time grew and um, and just pure experience, I realized that actually almost right is better than perfect. So you don't want to launch something that's going to be a disaster, of course not. But you know, just because it's got an extra step in the process isn't a reason to delay the launch because not yep, because I or a room full of people think that that's an extra step. To customers, they might not even see that as a friction point. It's that willingness to be able to change once you get that feedback, which is absolutely important. And so I was—I used to fixate on everything being perfect before it launched. Where now, no, I still want it to be great. Don't get me wrong, but it, you know, much more comfortable in launching and evolving quickly as opposed to the, the waiting for it to be perfect. And you know. The, the advice that I would give to anyone that uh, is in business for themselves or or working in a large corporate is done is better than perfect. And what's even better than that is a willing to always improve. So I talk a lot about the power of 1%, the being obsessed about being 1% better today than you were yesterday. And I, whether it's a digital product, whether it's a physical product, whatever it is in your life, I, I truly believe that if you have a habit of looking for ways to be a little bit better every day, that that is much better. Uh, it delivers a stronger, more reliable results than just sitting in your office or wherever you work and going, well, I can't launch this because it's not perfect. Because you know, there lot, Lots of great companies, lots of great careers have nosedived because of that inability to get something to market
1: yeah i agree i think that's like one big crippling thing it's like you can never really get it perfect the most kind of uh the best feedback you can get is actually putting it in market and getting the data and insights what actually can be improved or how the customer user base actually reacts to it so no matter if you do a hundred different things you think still are needed if it's functional and it does the job or that general thing you designed it to do that you know product or service put it out there and see how the market reacts because no matter how much how many shiny things you put in something you know they may be useless if you don't know how, what what the market wants or reacts to
0: and it's so easy to you know, sit in your office and brainstorm ideas and and convince yourself that whatever you're working on is you know, that golden nugget that everyone wants. But until you actually put it out there for someone to buy, you don't really know. And I think that's the, the real, real ex- difference between those companies that are thriving at the moment those that are, is that they're just willing to get in there and, and get stuff out there and move quickly.
1: Yeah, I agree. And it's it's crippling in general in terms of making a decision or starting something new or pivoting a business or turning a side hustle into a company. And me personally, I started the po- this podcast three years ago, but if I really did it when I wanted to, it would be like eight years ago. So imagine how much further, how many more interviews, more connections I would have had if I started it. So some people launch what they want to launch, but if they had in market for, let's say, the three or four years that it was just like going back and forth. No, we still need other things. Imagine how much further it would be at that point. It, look, I, I absolutely
0: appreciate that. Uh, when I re- wrote my first book, you know, <laughs> making the commitment to, to write the first book was a big step. Writing it and getting it published was a big step. Having then, oh, I think it was six months after the launch of the the physical book I recorded the audio book and you know I'm reading the audio you know reading the book for the recording of the audio book and and I'm like oh I should have rewritten this sentence I could have said this differently but none of that matters because the book's a bestseller. it's sold bestseller in multiple companies most gifted business book and I know that what I've learned from that book is going to make my second book so much better so you know I've I have said for decades that I wanted to write a book. I lost a decade of growth, a decade of an opportunity to to learn and grow. And you know, I, I think uh, you know your podcast is an is a great example as well. Imagine if if you would started your podcast and then decided to stop because it just felt uncomfortable. Now I'm sure the podcast today in, is better than it was when you first launched, and it will, you know, in, as it will be next year. Uh, and you know that comes for anything that we do in life, and, and it's that that getting to the starting blocks and actually starting. You know, I, I don't have children, but you know, it doesn't take uh, Einstein to work out uh, to that the way the child starts to walk is by crawling. You know, they don't just sit there and think about walking; <laughs> they actually just have to start trying.
1: Yeah, I agree, and that that that's crippling in anything uh, that lack of. Uh, starting or I mean it's fear of the unknown it's fear how someone will react to something is it good enough in the podcast space most pot I mean there's about I would say at this point 1.8 million podcasts out there if you look at Apple podcasts but there's only a certain a few hundred that they're actually active and have put out an episode in the last 90 days so a lot of those are abandoned so starting something and maybe starting it for the wrong reason and then just giving it up. So I think the attrition rate, if somebody starts podcasting, usually after episode 10, a lot of podcasts just, you know, stop. Um, and, and it's like with everything. I mean, it, it's initially that fear, fear of the unknown and fear what, what people think, their their reactions. And like you mentioned, in terms of launching something, you know, how's the market going to react to this? How are, you know, industry leaders going to react to this or write about this? Is it going to be a negative reflection if it's not the best it can be? And it's like self-doubt is so crippling and getting past that first hurdle and getting something out there or starting something new is that hardest part. Obviously, you'll have hurdles and struggles and setbacks. But from those failures, you can get insights, you can learn, you can either pivot, you can improve, you can upgrade. But without that additional information or that start, you're just sitting there in 10, 20, 30 years, like you said, you know, if you started writing your book when when you wanted to, maybe you would have exponentially more books at this point but you did start at that point so i think the the most important thing in that is actually starting at some point even if you think you know it's past like oh yeah i wanted to do this 20 years ago i can't possibly do it now well do it now or in another 20 years you're going to sit back and have the same regret only 40 years later
0: Uh, yeah absolutely and i think that's one of the big challenges that companies have as they get bigger there are so many things that can mask inaction. So uh, you think about you know, a large, successful or growing business, they've got revenue coming in, they're making a profit. There's not necessarily that compelling uh, need to pivot, to try to new things, to expand product offerings. And now, if there is a blessing in this pandemic is that it's made big companies go, oh, actually, we do need to do something different. And I, you know, I, I am a big believer that as a, as a small business entrepreneur or as a, as a leader in a, in a large business that you should actually find time for innovation. You now, there's an old saying, are you working on your business or in your business? Well, you know, For a lot of entrepreneurs that i know they've they have no choice they have to work in their business but my advice to them would be no it doesn't matter whether it's one day a month or one day a quarter find some time to actually get some headspace to to innovate and to come up with new ideas and then how can you start implementing them because you want a business for the future not a business for tomorrow
1: Yeah, I agree. I say a lot. uh, Complacency is the death of innovation. So, you know, companies get too big and get comfortable. You know, we have market share, we can't be caught. But there's all these other, you know, competitors out there that are working maybe twice as hard and innovating and innovating. Because I mean, if even if you look at like the fortune list, the fortune companies that were, you know, 30, 40 years ago, majority of them don't even exist so what did they do or or situations like blockbuster video blockbuster video had the opportunity several times to buy netflix and just laughed it off and now there's just one store in the u.s like the last nostalgic store and they had thousands of locations so it's one of those things if you don't innovate it don't adapt i mean you're going to be kind of left behind and i mean it's it's kind of sad but it happens so much when companies grow it, it it becomes more of a bureaucracy and big government so it's like redirecting or pivoting the titanic from that iceberg it's so much harder and like i personally like working from the position of the contender so number two because eventually that champion will get comfortable and they can't be a champion forever yes there are certain instances but usually that number two is a lot hungrier to get to that position than that number one is to retain it so, so I once worked, uh, for, for, I was with, with the company for about four
0: or five years, uh, a company in Australia called Optus. They're a, our second largest telecommunications company. And it was one of the greatest things about that company, and I believe this is still true to this day, is that internally, we would use the phrase, the challenger brand, the challenger telco, because we weren't number one. But we obviously wanted to be number one. Who you know, every large corporate out there always says they want to be number one. But because we had this mentality that we were the challenger, it also gave us permission, uh, in in very direct and sometimes uh, not so obvious ways, to do things differently. Because we're the challenger, so everyone would expect Optus to to be different, to be trying to do different things, to innovate, and to to you know get market share from the number one uh, competitor. Uh, interestingly, their tagline uh, or their branding positioning in Australia is yes Optus. Now they have been using that term yes Optus since the day that they launched in Australia. And the whole thinking behind yes Optus is that by saying it, it implies that every other telecommunication company says no when they say yes. And that just was born out of that challenger position. So I'm right with you there. When you say, you know, there's something about being in that number two position, I think it's quite powerful. It can be a unifying resource within the team to get people focused on giving it a go and getting in there.
1: Yeah, I, I think, I mean, it doesn't always do it, but it adds to kind of a, a hungrier uh, culture internally so usually that company has a a chip on their shoulder kind of luck you know they're saying we're doing all these outrageous things they're saying it's not going to work work let's show them something different i mean i read actually this article this morning about elon musk and, and him in the 70s like fixing up and rebuilding some bmw and then nobody really believed in tesla now tesla is evaluated 10 times more as BMW so it's just one of those things you know ideas are a little crazy but if you really have a vision and and do it and have the culture backing it that have the same vision you can really exponentially really do whatever you want in in any industry
0: yeah absolutely I think there's you know whether it's tech whether it's entertainment whether it's the hotel the, the industry or cars it doesn't really matter there there are many examples of companies that have failed to innovate and die uh, and and companies that have been prepared to innovate and thrived you know you think about netflix netflix started as a dvd subscription or sorry i should say a vhs subscription service at some point they decided oh hang on there's a market differentiation if we have the largest collection of dvds and then of course we know they went into the streaming uh, you know against all the odds and, you know it wasn't like the internet was great when that, when netflix first started bringing I can remember living in new york at the time and um, you know you were a netflix subscriber but you also <laughs> knew that they came with that some some internet problems from time to time but they still pushed through and innovated and look at the powerhouse they are today and you have people like disney who is arguably the world's largest uh, entertainment uh, company certainly the biggest legacy and they've had to find ways to pivot into the streaming business to keep market share, you know, to protect themselves. And, and I think uh, uh, I think that's the biggest challenge anyone has is not coming up with ideas, but just getting those ideas into the market and being willing to let go of the, you know, to the to the baby, to the invention. If it's not working, let go of it, change it, but get it out there in the first place.
1: Yeah, I agree. I think a lot of the time it's it's ego and it's kind of a personal connection to the product or whatever is launched. So you just don't want to pivot. You don't want to kind of necessarily, I guess, kill the idea or learn something from it, triage it. You know, where, where are we going from here? It's no, it's mine, and you have this personal and emotional tie to this this thing, and you refuse to change. And I think separating that emotion out of the equation and having the emotional Uh, iq to understand that i think is important
0: and and i think that's why it's so important to have a really close excuse me a really close network of friends or mentors that will give you really brutal and honest feedback because sometimes you do just need to get that so-called slap across the face to make a difference to to get you out of that rut and, and force you into
1: change yeah, I agree. So what's one piece of advice you may have for the audience, personal or professional? So I would certainly
0: recommend that you have a practice of learning what others are doing, but not in your industry. So if you want to be the best car company, the most innovative car company or telephone uh, telecommunications provider, Don't go and look at what, you know, if you're AT&T, don't go and look at what T-Mobile's doing because at best you're just going to be able to be slightly better than them, but you'll be following them. Go go and have a look at what the most innovative, fastest-growing bank's doing or, you know, why Disney theme parks have been so profitable for so many years and why they have such a cult following. Look outside your industry. Make a habit of looking outside your industry so that you can learn and adapt those winning formulas to whatever it is that you do. I I listen to such a large amount of podcasts or read read crazy amounts of books. And in every instance, the reason I'm doing that is not because there's a podcast on how to be a global guru on customer service. But to become a global guru on customer service... I have to be open to understanding what all the different markets are doing and then form an opinion around you know what I believe is the right path. and And that's true in business as well. So I would absolutely encourage people to create that habit of looking outside their industry at those organizations that are absolutely crushing it when it comes to growth uh, and customer loyalty.
1: Yeah, I think it's important. Um, from the marketing end, I have worked with you know a lot of companies and a lot of industries. And there's kind of traditional industries, let's say pharma and life sciences or financial services, where the marketers are career marketers and stay within that field. So me working with you know consumer brands, uh, personal brands, different Fortune 500 companies, I know what worked in their industries, and then taking those and trying them in an industry that may have not. You know, been tried or true really gives an advantage and bringing in new ideas and figuring things out. Like you said, if you're going to look at your own industry, you're only going to learn so much and, and not necessarily kind of innovate in that sense. But when you really see the whole market climate, different categories, different industries, you can really piece together certain things and, and come up with kind of a winning formula.
0: Yeah, there's a company uh, that was founded here in Australia. It's called Koala Furniture. Uh, and they're much—they're uh, on this massive global expansion at the moment. And you know, they are an online retailer of, you know, bedding and and household furniture. But they—they they started as the Koala Mattress Company. So you know, originally they were, they were just selling uh, mattresses online. And they've just recently hired the former CMO of Netflix. Now, I would argue Netflix has absolutely nothing to do with the furniture business but it's the absolute right hire for this organization because you know, they, the wealth of experience that that individual is going to bring to, to the business is going to make sure that they're continuing to push forward and to try new things and to connect with consumers in a different way than if they just went and hired the former chief marketing officer from a major furniture company because their entire business model isn't bricks and mortar. It isn't traditional. So why would you stay in that path? And, and that's a, that's a real challenge organizations have is having the, the thought leadership to even look outside their industry for when it comes to, to employees. know, th- there is absolute value in employ- employing people with industry experience. But I think it's about having that balance of, of new thinking within the industry and traditional or experienced thinking so that those two can fuse together and grow for you. know I'm sure, sure Apple in, in their innovation labs, they have a balance of new and, and, and tenured team members to make sure that what comes out isn't a Frankenstein product, but also is pushing the boundaries. And, and that's so important, and especially as it is becoming ever increasingly difficult for individuals, for organizations to get the attention of consumers.
1: Yeah, I agree. So I really appreciate you stopping by today. Can you let the audience know how they can find you? Sure. Thank you so much, Roman, for letting me be on the
0: podcast and to share uh, how people can contact me. So my website is jasonsbradshaw.com. It's really important that it's that you remember the S, so that's jasonsbradshaw.com. And if your listeners uh, go to jasonsbradshaw.com forward slash sign up, they'll get Two chapters of my book with my compliments um, uh, for listening to this podcast. And uh, a little bit of a, a hint for your listeners, if they're looking for uh, exclusive real estate in California, then just type Jason Bradshaw and forget the S. So there's a, a gentleman in, in California whose website is JasonBradshaw.com, Uh We're not related. Uh, he sells real estate and I'm the customer guy. So jasonsbradshaw.com.
1: Awesome. Thanks again for stopping by.